Welcome, bienvenidos, to Life is Inquiry, a podcast to carry the legacy of my mystical scholarly teacher, Jim Dixon, where you can expect to hear thought-provoking reflections of Jim's discernments and writings that have the magical effect of taking us from anxiety to equanimity with an honest inquiry of life. I am your host, Cristina Trujillo, honoring Jim's last incarnate wish to produce this podcast for the purpose of sharing the wealth of knowledge and wisdom he left me with. Here we are with episode 6 of Life is Inquiry. If this is your first time finding us, we have so far covered 10 paragraphs of Jim Dixon's essay entitled Choice and Experience, an 85-page essay that he so graciously shared with me prior to his passing. This podcast is truly a labor of love, supported by volunteer readers We've had my soul sister, Roxanne Villaluz, who started us off with Jim's essay as a prayer to the unknown, followed by my friends Megan White and Brandy Weintraub. And today, we have my friend Anaisa Maya lending her voice for paragraphs 11 and 12. I had the chance to talk with Anaisa about her experience with the reading, which had me in tears. During our conversation, I felt an overwhelming sense of grace and love coming from Anais. And in that moment, I felt Jim's essence resonating pure joy in the formless continuation of his life. You will hear our intimate conversation after the reading, so stay tuned. In the previous episode, episode 5, we last left off with the concept of self-identity and the many existential layers that accompany it. Now, without further ado, here is the beautiful Anais Amaya. The central I voice, and we must be careful that we are not creating a fiction, is constantly confronted with not just the challenges of the real world and the objectifications made of it, but all those other associations, replayed memories, Impetuses that stray from the pattern of the controlling momentum. Periodically, we become so absorbed, engaged, that this inner conversation of competing demands ends. Self-consciousness diminishes. Psychological time recedes. And the very doing of what we are about occupies at least the forefront of consciousness. The horses run contentedly along, and the activity in which we are engaged becomes more important than our sense of ourselves as the doer of it. The inner commentator is largely silent, and so there is little sense of internal friction or disharmony with our inner face with whatever is. We become the function in which we are engaged and the director of operations. Shepherd, the taskmaster, suddenly has no role or reality. In fact, no part of the eye has any significant function 
whether we continue in habitual and road absorption or a seamless movement in the existent arises depends on whatever that elusive factor of awareness is present. But most of us spend our active moments standing apart from what we are doing in resistance, seeking inner and outer control. And in fear that life will become untenable if control is not exerted. Is that very fear of not coping, of not reaching the goal, of not becoming, the generator of the charioteer, shepherd, taskmaster? The taskmaster is not different from the fixed image of self to which it attends, which it promotes protects, advances. Outside circumstances change. Can the taskmaster assimilate these challenges into the self-image of which it has become the enforcer? Can the eye centers have the clarity to know which outcomes are best? What most furthers its realization of the aims it represents? What good is highest? There are not, at least for the more thoughtful of us, competing ideal systems, each with its own priorities? With which set of normative ideals shall the enforcer be allied, identified? Religious people, when it suits their convenience, Tell us we must not kill. Military authorities assure us that, however unfortunate, we must do whatever will protect not only our persons and property, but our honor and ideals. Businessmen and industrialists weigh the financial returns of their allegiances. Politicians find the right words to assure us that what we do, we do for God and the higher good. And that the more we do of it, the more highly honored, in life or in death, we will be. Moralists align themselves in every direction. And apart from the ideals and tenets, other even more persuasive models beckon. The gathering of wealth, prestige, security, libertin pleasures, family pressure, innumerable other circuitries of role and position. Hola, Anais. Thank you so much for being a guest reader for Life is Inquiry. How was that experience for you? First of all, thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this amazing project, Christina. But this, I'm always surprised by how the universe puts things in my life. Um, when, when I was reading, uh, the, the two paragraphs, the second paragraph, there was a line that really stood out to me. 
And it was because, uh, but most of us spend our active moments standing apart from what we are doing in resistance, seeking inner and out of control. And really, it's it's crazy. But days before I read this, I had an experience where I was eating oh, um, watermelon. I was eating watermelon when my brother was in front of me. And in the moment, like I really got caught up in the moment of the watermelon and I was just eating it and I felt I closed my eyes and I was feeling the explosion of the flavors and everything in my mouth. And I felt like I was in it and it was like a magical experience happening within me. And I looked up at my brother and I said, you have to taste this watermelon. It's the most amazing watermelon ever. And he looked at me really awkward and he got a little piece of it, ate it. And he's like, ah, it's all right. And I remember I stood there looking at him thinking like, whoa, he's missing out on such an incredible thing. And I kept watching him and he went on about his day. And I realized how we miss little miracles, really, because every moment has is a miracle in itself. And we miss it because we're so used to it. And we make we make it we make it go by like it's it's nothing, right? We don't see, we don't see it anymore. We're blind to it now, and and I I felt like this was like a message to me. It spoke to me to my heart. I'm telling you, it was only like days apart, and and I ultimately I felt like this was this was honestly a gift to me personally. Wow, that is so magical. Like just listening to that, to hear you share that and your experience, it brings so much joy to my heart because what it sounded like to me was that you're completely present, completely in that moment, mind, body, and soul, you know, where where you're just having this, your fruit, and it's an explosion for you. It's, you know, almost it sounds like this orgasmic feeling inside of you, right? Like just heavenly, like, wow. Again, very, like mentioned, like every, there's miracles in every moment, right? But we miss it. You're right, like, because we do habituate to things, you know? And so just you saying that matters so much. There was one thing that Jim taught me uh, when it when it came to love, you know, the, the concept of love. He, he's, he would say, and, and I'm, trying to recall precisely of course he had a way of speaking that just kind of reached our you know my subconscious mind but as you were describing your experience with the watermelon it truly brought me back to this notion of love that Jim would talk about because it was truly about the the attentiveness in that moment how attentive you are to each other to even this fruit, you know, to your own experience. You, you were in it completely. And for me, that resonates of love. You know, you were in love with life at that time. It's, and it's, oh, it just, it fills my heart. Like I, my eyes are getting a little watery because that's, that's medicine, right? To ourselves. Yes. Totally. Right? Especially right now in these, in this time that we're collectively living. 
Sorry, I love that. And letting go. Like in that moment, I wasn't in, in, in something that he talks about. Letting go of that control because we are fixated. We tr- we get fixated on, on what we need to accomplish. And especially right now, there's a culture that if you're not being productive, then you're being lazy and, and you're wasting time. And I keep seeing all these messages that try to be motivational, but all of them are about being busy. You're supposed to be busy 24-7. And if you're not, then there's something wrong with you. And and this is what, what he talks about so well and so eloquently because the way he speaks about it is truly beautiful. It's poetic. Um, I, I often have a hard time explaining myself verbally. And, and reading this, it flows. It flows in, in such a beautiful way. And it hits your soul because of the words that he chooses. I, really, it, it is, it's a poem. Um, but teaching us so much about what's going on and, and how, and love at the end of the day, love that you find when you let go and you live in the moment and you appreciate those little small miracles. Yeah, I, I love that. <laughs> I'm so emotional <laughs> hearing you because you're definitely, um, definitely sensing his his soul right and you're right like he knows that he knows me and he knows about how busy you know I would be and he we used to share um where I live we shared a wall basically right he lived in a bigger wing of um the cottage of where I live and and so he would see me busy single mom here you know and just like running around trying to do all kinds of things and then like I I used to feel so out of control busy and then Suddenly he would just stop me. <laughs> and I was like, I don't have time for a chat right now, Chip. <laughs> but he's like, yeah, you do. And it's when you when you should make time for a chat, when you're like that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my god. So speaking of this reading, have you have you read um similar types of, of readings that does it remind you of other readings you've read? Um can you tell me a little bit about that? Readings, not necessarily, but I I recently have been connecting with people who we, I mean, I've always been a weird person. Uh, I was always that weird kid that wanted, that asked the questions that, you know, like, why, why are we here? Why do we do this? And the kids were like, what's wrong with you? We just want to go play. Why don't you just pick a color that you want to use and we're going to go paint over there. And recently I've been surrounding myself with people who who think the same way and and this is ex- precisely what we've been talking about recently is how we oftentimes try so much to be in control that we lose ourselves in the process and we we disconnect from who we really are and then we spend most of our lives looking for our true selves. And unfortunately, a lot of us end up leaving this life not knowing who we are and disconnected from, from that, that, that child in, inside of us that is screaming, trying, asking us to please let him out and come out and play. 
Yeah. So I, I don't have a reading, but <laughs> that's so perfect. But these conversations have been very present in my life, especially in the in the last couple of months. Um, and I feel that it just expands it expands your awareness and and you get to see you get to see more of the universe when when you start exploring these ideas. And I use that's so beautiful. Absolutely. It's that expansion of awareness that you mentioned. And I love that you said that you would ask questions when you're a kid, like, why this? Why that? And there's um there's another word, another term for being weird. It's like astro bow something. It's like it's really cool. I I wish I could remember right now, but um I think it's wonderful to be different to write and to like you mentioned when you were a kid you were asking questions and that's the the other the other part that Jim would have mentioned right like inquire ask questions like how are we ever gonna know if we don't ask the question and it sounds to me that since you're a kid a child that was so innately present within you to ask questions right like why this why that? Like, why? Right? Because that, those questions, it, like you mentioned, it helps to expand your awareness, right? Like, yeah. not, it doesn't sound like you were just going with, like, you know, moving along just because you wanted to, even as a child, you wanted to get at the root of your experience. Yes. And off, I mean, sadly, as children, especially, in our culture, and if you grow up in, in a very religious um, environment, unfortunately, they teach you not to ask questions. You're not supposed to ask questions. You're supposed to just listen and abide by what they tell you. Yes, that is so, so as a kid, you feel like I felt so weird um, because I would like one of the biggest questions I would ask my mom is, how do I know I love God? Like, I don't know if I love God because I've never met God. And the only, the only way that I know love is the way in which I love you and my dad. But I don't know God and I don't know if I love him. So how do I know I love him? And, and I remember one of my cousins that was only like two years uh, older than me and I thought was very wise because she's older <laughs> and she's lived life more. She told me, it's because when you watch a movie about Jesus, um, if you watch a movie about Jesus and you cry, that's when you know you love him. <laughs> so then I would watch it and I'd be like, I don't, I'm not crying, <laughs> but I think it's just the acting. <laughs> Something has to do with love. <laughs> that is so funny. Oh my God. So that was the explanation. So that I was watch the explanation. <laughs> watch a movie about Jesus Christ and I cry it means that I love God that was was the the best answer I got I love it but but then it's this whole concept right of love and yeah how do we even know if we love God I mean even this conversation with you right now and the fact that we're touching on that question is how do I know if I love because I actually last week said shared this with my son I said you know Timothy for all my life I've been so emotionally like I felt I've always been very very emotional right and everything in my life was based on my emotions and so I used to feel like 
I knew love, but those were just because of the emotions that I was experiencing. Now that I'm here with all the, you know, all all the self-work I've done on myself and I have more sort of just an understanding of my emotions and what those are, because Jim also would say emotions are, they they only come up when you have an expectation. That's Mm -hmm. an emotion. It's like it only, it's, it, 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 you can't have an emotion without an expectation. And so then that helped me to understand that, well, my emotions are not love. And so now that I'm not driven by my emotions, I asked my son, like, I don't, how do I know that I love? Right? Because I used to think exactly like your, your cousin said, if you cry in this movie of Jesus, which I have, because <laughs> I was so emotional. <laughs> I, you know, I, I thought I'm definitely a believer, right? <laughs> but now that my emotions are so regulated, I'm like, wow, how do I know when, if I'm loving, right? And that yes. is the question. Yes. That's, that's the question. Right now, my answer is that sense of appreciation, right? Mm-hmm. That sense of being present. Like when I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you. I'm seeing you. I'm acknowledging you, edifying you, like, and just seeing you. I feel like maybe that's love, you know? But since you were a kid, you've been asking that question. That's truly profound, Anais. So like how do you know? And you were a kid and asking these questions. What did your what was your mom's response when you asked her that question about your love for God? <laughs> she would change the subject. <laughs> she she would start explaining, like, well, you just know and you just feel it, and it's the the biggest love you you will ever have in your life. But she would never really answer it, and then she would just go off topic, and eventually we would be on something else. <laughs> but she she never could explain it. I actually just asked her again a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, I I still don't know, mom. And and she for this time she told me, yeah, I I don't know either. Oh wow, yeah, wow. So she's coming to that realization and accepting yes. it herself, right? Wow. Right. Because before it was just, well, this is what the Bible says. This is how it should be, and this is how you should feel. And, and that's it. Shoulds, right? Shoulds. We've been so controlled by those shoulds, right? right? And we learn that from growing up, and then we do that to ourselves. I should do this. I should do that. And like we're so controlled. Yes. And in love, like I don't know if you ever experienced this. At least I did. I used to think that love, like jealousy, meant love. And yes. if you if you weren't a jealous and possessive person, then it meant that you didn't love enough. So I was that way with other people. And then other people were like that with me until I finally realized, and this is very recently, how no, actually love isn't possessive. Love is freeing. Love is supposed to be free. Love love is supposed to allow you to be who you are at all times. And and you should feel free and, and safe in it not constrained by somebody else's love. And and I think, at least for me, the love I was taught was always very constrained. 
It's I love you, so I'm going to protect you and you're going to be here and just here. Nowhere else. Don't try to leave. Don't try to go anywhere else because I love you. Yes, you exactly. need to be here. Mm-hmm. And now it's now I'm coming to like reteach myself that I am free. And if somebody loves me, they they should allow me. They should respect my my want and my need for freedom. Absolutely. Like a thousand and one percent. I've been there as well. I absolutely used to feel like if this person that I'm dating is not somewhat possessive of me, then maybe he doesn't love me. Like that's exactly <laughs> how I he doesn't see. care. He doesn't care. <laughs> right. And now and now I know that that's just truly not. You're absolutely right. Love is freedom. My son's godfather once said to me, I was in a very uh, long-term relationship, um, like with my first love, um, and it was really hard for us to really finalize that breakup. I would go back and forth until my son's godfather said, Christina, can you see him happier with someone else? Truly, he's like, just answer me honestly. And the answer was yes. If I'm going to give you an honest answer, the answer is yes, I can see him happier with someone else. And then he's like, well, if you love him, then you have to let him go. <sighs> That's that freedom. Yeah. And, and you. Yeah. Oh, God. Isn't it? Yeah, no, I know. It's exactly right. Like, it's that freedom. And, and not just with our, you know, our, our partners, but also even like with our children. Right. So, you know, we both are, you know, our mothers to our sons and that when my son you know left the nest oh gosh that was so hard right but the biggest form of love that i knew was like i have to be okay with this because i was thinking of it like you know one thing that i feel like we tend to forget about is that we are as human beings we forget that we're also nature we are nature Mm -hmm. right we're not a part we are we are we are in nature and and i was thinking about you know, polar bears and and all these different animals that have to separate, detach from their cub, from their babies in order to just survive. So I, I thought about that when my son left left the nest and I'm like, this is part of nature. <laughs> and and the love is to have faith in it, to have trust in that and that letting go and that freedom, as you mentioned, right? That is very, it's very powerful. I'm glad we share that. I love that you said the trust because you, you need to have that trust that everything is going to be okay. Not only with, with your child, but with yourself. Like we live in a world of uncertainties and this is not just now. It's, this is how life is. Life is uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen in the next minute, but we often look at the uncertainty as a bad thing. It's uncertain. It's, we don't know what's going to happen. So it must be bad. Instead of looking at it, these uncertainties mean that it's full of possibilities. And we should be excited that we don't know what's coming because it might be a really cool thing. (laughs) I love that. I needed to hear that today. (laughs) Speaking of that, right? And and so, did, did the reading, your reading um, of Jim's essay, Choice and Experience, did any, 
some anything resonate in terms of what we're living right now collectively? Yes. When he talks about how our fear of not being in control is is the taskmaster, is the shepherd, is the one driving you. I I mean that I'm going to be digesting for a while because yeah it is that fear of of not 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 reaching that goal of not being that person who we visualize ourselves to be is that what is driving us in our entire lives that that really stuck with me and I, and I think right now especially right now in in these times that there is so much going on are we like have we stopped to really think about what we're doing every day and why we're doing it are we acting out of fear or are we really acting and doing things for that is for the well-being of ourselves like we need to all of us i think all of us really reflect on that that is so powerful and, and so perfect for us to you know like literally like pause you know the conversation now so that we can really reflect on what you just said right now what you just mentioned Anais that's so perfect such a perfect place to you know to pause for all of us and to reflect and again thank you so much for being our guest reader we invite you on when you know we're here whenever you're available because I know it's a labor of love you took time from your busy schedule to do this you know, for, for Jim, you know, this is, this was literally one of his last wishes in incarnate form Mm -hmm. that, that his essays, that what he wrote, what his wisdom, what came out of him and he never took credit for it. He's like, I don't know where this is coming from. So he's like, like channeling this beautiful poetic, eloquent, eloquent knowledge and wisdom. And he really wanted to share it. So it fills my heart. To, to know that you gravitated to it, you know, and, and you get it, you understand it, and you're always welcome back uh, to, to read for us again. Thank no, you so much. I want to thank you for doing this because you could have just kept this to yourself, but you are sharing it with all of us, and and I can assure you that it's that it's leaving a mark in every single person that reads it. And... His memory will live on because of the impact that these his words have. So thank you for for keeping this going and letting me be a part of it. Absolutely. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you. Have a beautiful thank you. day. Thank you so much for tuning in. Drop us a line to share your thoughts on Life is Inquiry and Jim's essay, Choice and Experience. We would love to hear from you. And you know what will be really helpful? subscribing to our labor of love go to whatever app you are listening to right now and click subscribe you can also find us on instagram at life is inquiry so find us type underscores in between the words this episode has been brought to you by Remedia media productions original music and audio audio mastering by ryan airsman voice contributor anais amaya